Father, I just thank you again for this little time together. Father, we want to hear from you. Father, you have given us your word. And again, we rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the things that you want us to learn today. Again, bless each of these dear young people, variety of ages, and us older ones here. Father, it just gives us encouragement to see a younger generation rising up and saying, I want to do what's right. I want to go the whole way with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm willing to sacrifice my life, my future, my plans, and everything, Lord, so that it can bring honor and glory to your name. Oh, God, I just pray that you will meet the needs of all of our hearts here today. And as I expound what you have laid on my heart, I pray, God, that you will give me clarity of mind and help me to just relax to know that you're in charge of it all. It is you speaking through my vessel. Father, we commit this time to you, and may you receive the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I have a problem, and it's a big problem, I think, is I, I'm not sure if I'll ever get out of the introduction. <laughs> and I realize they gave me a schedule, and I do want to respect that. I want you to know that. Uh, and we will talk more about blasphemy um, in a little bit. I've been blessed by both brothers that have been sharing. I, I appreciate very much their passion for truth, their passion for the Word of God, their passion for the Bible, and their desire to <clears throat> be willing to be spent in the gospel. Sorry. 22. You've got the hour till then. Sorry. No, 22. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> I could probably stand here and just talk about the things they said. <laughs> To us. Brother Denny mentioned, I don't know if he wants to be called Dennis or Denny, but I'm so used to saying Denny's name because I used to be the secretary for Denny Keniston. And uh, there's times that we traveled together and we would get war out. And he said, Brother John, we're going to rest in the millennium. Well, today he is already resting. Ready? with his Savior, with his Lord. So brother, I'm going to call you Brother Denny if that's okay. He mentioned that he got a new Bible and that he's going to underline, that spoke volumes to me, the verses that have to do with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, there's so many verses, and I agree with him when he mentioned that it seems somehow we just kind of skim across the top of the verses about the Holy Spirit. And I think God is impressing on our minds this week that the Holy Spirit is an integral part his being within us is what motivates us and gives us guidance in life. And I'm not quite sure if I have the answer why some of this is in our plain circles. We have a tendency of maybe not preaching and teaching about the Holy Spirit the way we should. And probably some of that has to do with the abuse that we have seen in evangelical circles where it comes to the Holy Spirit, and soon they're saying, I'm so full of the Holy Spirit, and they start doing things contrary to Scripture. And the, the Holy Spirit will never do that. To ask you to do something that the Scripture says otherwise. And 
Sometimes we react to some of that and we develop the mentality, oh, we don't want to go there. And that is true, we don't want to go there. But at the same time, we don't want to just squelch the Holy Spirit and say, well, the Holy Spirit is there, but, but. And, and, and we fill in a lot of other things and try to, try, try to uh, push it, the, the Holy Spirit back and saying, we don't really want you to work in our life because if you work in our life, maybe I'll end up like that. Well, the Bible is full of other spirits. That the I should say, the Bible talks about other spirits, evil spirits, wrong spirits. But we are talking about the Holy Spirit. And I have a thought, and I'm just sharing this with you, why we might find ourselves as conservative people um, holding, holding, holding back on some of this. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. What does the title say above verse 1 in your Bible? Acts of the Apostles. Now, is that inspired, that title? I see heads shaking. We were told earlier today that the Word of God was not divided out like we're used to it today. I encourage you to... Get a chronological Bible if you don't have one. And I realize there's different, ty- uh, different kinds of chronological Bible. But what has really helped me is to get a chronological Bible and see how the books flow together. Sometimes we look at the book of Acts and we say, oh, the book of Acts is over. Now we have Ephesians and Corinthians and all of that. I want you to know some of those books were written during the period of the book of Acts. Now, I would like to just lift up another phrase. Instead of calling it the Acts of the Apostles, I would like to say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the life of the Apostles. And there's a reason that there is a possibility, the reason why it's called the Acts of the Apostles and and the ones that organized this, why they did that. There is two camps of thinking, and you have to bear with this Dutchman, I have sometimes a hard time getting some words pronounced properly. And some of these are, these two words are ism words. And there is a teaching, and I'm going to give you both teachings, and then I'm going to tell you which, well, I'm going to let you guess which one I am. Okay? Is that fair? Okay, that is the, the one word is uh, uh, cessationism. Okay? And the other word is continuationism. Now, maybe you know all this already. Maybe I'm not even sharing something new with you, but the cessationalists say that the Holy Spirit was only given in this period, the way the Holy Spirit functioned, only for the Acts of the Apostles. And when the church age was ushered in, a lot of that ceased because now we are in the rest of the books, Ephesians and Galatians and, and first and second and third John and, and uh, the book of Acts is just kind of bringing in the church age. A continuationist is someone that believes that the book of Acts is still being written today. Now, which one do you think I am? I'm a continuationist. <laughs> what makes you say that? <laughs> okay. okay, that's a thought. 
What's that? I change not. I change not. Okay, very good. Um, is this the same Holy Spirit that we are saying we want within us that the early church had? Okay. I think Brother Denny also mentioned that the, the, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. And you see the book of Acts is just full of gifts. And Paul explains in Corinthians what the gifts are for. So yes, I'm a continuationist. But because of the teaching of the cessationalists, it has influenced our conservative people more than what we are aware of. And I just want to lift up the God. Our God never changes. If he was able to perform those miracles in the Old Testament with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he was able to put Daniel in the lion's den, and the lions did not devour Daniel, and then you come into the book of Acts and you see the many miracles, and you wonder, do you ever get the feeling sometimes that maybe we're missing out on something when you read the book of Acts and you see miracles and but I want you to know God is still performing miracles today. Even that you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart is a miracle. Even the very being. We're created out of dust. What keeps the dust all together? Well, God designed the dust to stay together into our bodily form. That's a miracle every day that we don't fly apart. God has designed our bodies to stay together. That's a miracle every day. But as I read the book of Acts, sometimes I think, Lord, where are you in this? Why aren't we seeing more miracles and things happening? And I came to this conclusion, and, and I could be all... I need help sometimes. Sometimes my thinking takes me into areas where I... Uh, well, sometimes I speak before I think. I'll put it that way. But... As I have observed us as, as people, and I get into different groups, I was raised Mennonite, spent nine years in charity circles, and then now 17 years in a brethren's circle. So I have seen a variety of things. And we have become um, self-sufficient. That we have a tendency of taking care of our own problems. In order for God to do a miracle, there needs to be a problem. Right? Remember that. And we don't like problems. We'll find some way to get out of that problem. I don't care if it's sickness or, or money situation or any struggle that we're going through. We will sometimes tell ourselves, oh, I've got to get through this. And we go to extremes. I mean, we, we, and before we know what's happening, we start fighting each other. And, and, and God is saying, I want to perform a miracle here. And I, Brother Luke, he, he shared his heart about the, the, the love that we have to have for each other. And, and my heart is just grieved as I travel across the United States. And we're, we're not the only part of the world that is struggling with getting along with each other. But when you study church history, you have a church, there's a division. That church divides. This church divides. Why don't we see it the other way? Here you have a church, and it comes together. 
There's only one time in church history that I know that it happened, and that happened in Lancaster County among the River Brethren. They were separated, and they came back together. Do you believe God could do that miracle? He could. If men's hearts would be pliable, he would be able to do that. Because he wants his brothers, uh, he wants his body not to be separated. He wants his body brought together. Now I realize some go to 1 Corinthians and we can get into the different gifts of the Bible and, and we can talk about speaking in tongues and the list goes on and on, the gift of healing and all of that and people get a little uneasy. And um, I tell people when we look at the Bible, let's not just look at it through Western eyes. Let's look at it through the eyes of God and through the world. I mean, uh, 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 with a world view of what is of what is taking place, and I believe, I believe that God can do miracles beyond what we even think, if we would just be more pliable to let God use us into situations that become tough. Uh, the persecuted church understands in some areas a lot more than we do because we do not we have our suffering but not to the point that the persecuted church is suffering and they see miracles that happen and those of you that have been to other countries where they have no medical facilities to heal with medicine or whatever there's people that are getting healed because somebody prayed over them I don't know where you are with the anointing of oil, and you're probably wondering why this all has to do with the Holy Spirit, but the anointing of oil in the Bible in James, that's not just for a person that's nearly dead. That You can call for the elders of the church anytime that you have a physical, and not only physical, but it also heals the emotional being of a person. Maybe there's a sickness that God is not going to heal that person from. So I just want to lift up my Lord, that is able through the Holy Spirit and through His people, still able to do signs and wonders that are beyond what the world can even comprehend could happen. That's who my God is. And that's who your God is. And He is counting on you. As we're going to see, He has no hands but our hands. He has no tongue but our tongue. And we will see a little bit, a little bit here with the diagram about how God works through us. <clears throat> now, another question that came up, and I am trembling a little bit on this one: <laughs> When does a person receive the Holy Ghost? When does a person receive the Holy Spirit? And there might be some different opinions here today, but. First of all, let's go to John. I think Brother Grant, had, you had read John 3 the other evening. So let's turn to John 3 and let's look and see what Jesus tells Nicodemus. Or it's verse 5. John 3, verse 5. Jesus is telling Nicodemus after He said, How can I, when I am old, enter the second time into my mother's womb? And you might look at that and say, well, would somebody ask that question today? 
About five years ago, I was in Times Square Park in New York City, and there was a man sitting there on, on the wall. And I might give some illustrations once we talk about evangelism, uh, one session that I have on that. But I like to go, and if I see somebody sitting, I'll go and, and I'll sit beside them. And I'll just say, good day, and just sit there a little bit, and well, how's your day going? And, and I, I, will, I will get a conversation going with them. And he asked who I was, and, and I told him that I'm in, the, I'm in the city because I love the Lord, and I want others people to love him too. And I, he said, well, how, how does one get saved or whatever? And I used the word born again, and you know, he said the exact same words as Nicodemus. He said, how can I enter into my mother again and be born? And I thought, praise God, here is someone that is, is asking the same question. I must be living in the book of Acts, is what I thought of. You know, we need to be willing to be men and women that are willing to, to open our mouths. And we'll see, we'll see that a little bit when we talk about blasphemy, uh, that we're, we have to be careful with our tongue. What it says here, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Does that mean that it needs water in order to get the Spirit? Or does the Spirit come and then the water? I'm not, I'm not saying God is always... When He pours out His Spirit, there's a verse that says, and I think or one of our brothers mentioned it, that He gives the Holy Spirit to them that ask. And I have heard testimonies of people that have received the Holy Spirit before they were actually baptized. And I've heard testimonies of people that when they were baptized and came up out of the water, they felt the presence of the Lord in a mighty way that they did not before. So I'm not going to stand here and say that God has to do it just one particular way. Now, the reason I'm saying that, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 11. Here we will see, and now if you're a cessationalist, you might say to me, well, I, that was back in the book of Acts. You know, that can't happen that way today. Well, cessationalists will say that. And yet God poured out His Spirit upon the Gentiles and then they were baptized. So what I'm saying is God... Maybe I'm too broad. I don't know with, with my... Like they say when you paint, I have too broad of a brush. And I am open to that for you to, to feel that way about me or about what, what I'm teaching here. But I, I have seen God do marvelous things in many different ways. I've seen people that have poured their heart out to the Lord and get up from confessing their sins. And yes, we even haven't, we have not put water on them or put them in the water. And, you know, and yet I feel the presence of God there, that there's something being poured out upon their life. And I believe, more than, I believe in more than one filling of the Holy Ghost. I believe it's a continual filling. God is there with a pitcher of water, like having a pitcher of water. Hey, oh, he needs some more. And, and as we cry out for, for more wisdom and for more of His presence, He's there just ready to give it all to us. So God can do it. But here in Acts 11, verse 44... Let me see, did I write a wrong reference down here? Just a moment. Um, yeah. Okay, it's where is Cornelius? Yes, it's chapter 10. I wrote a wrong one down. Wrong reference. Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell. 
on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as were come with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God. They answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which shall receive the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now I had one man tell me that he feels the, the, the Spirit didn't come until the water was poured. And, and you can almost read that into verse 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Referring back to verse 46, that uh, they, they were speaking with tongues and, and they were understanding that the Gentiles were also going to receive the Holy Ghost. And I'm not here to say that it, it couldn't have happened that way, but I just want to share with you that I am afraid sometimes that if it's not quite, we, we, we sometimes put God in a box. And I, I, I struggle using that phrase because most times when I hear that phrase, it's somebody that's justifying themselves for more of a liberal position. <laughs> and I cringe when I hear that. But there is a box of right and wrong that is specified particularly in Scripture. And there are certain areas, and I'm just sharing where I am. If you are differing with me, that's fine. I, I want to let room for differences of, 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 of that. And you might say, well, that's because you have Mennonite background. Well, maybe it is. But I want you to know that as I look through the book of Acts, I see some differences of how God didn't always do everything exactly always the same. And you will find that way too in, in your Christian life. And, and when you hear testimonies of people about how God is working in their heart, God did not have it that we're all, we all go through the same experience. Uh, the main thing is that we are, and I want to stress this, there's many verses that have water and Holy Spirit in the same verse. You know, So I, I, I take that and say that baptism is part of it all. And how, what, what degree everything kind of matches together, I'm not sure if I have that all figured out. But I do know I do not agree with the churches that wait a half a year or a year later to baptize. I say, now wait a moment, something's wrong. This baptism, I mean, someone got converted here. We should have a baptismal service, right? That's how I would look at it. But to say that everything, I don't know. Maybe I raised more questions than I did helping you. But I just wanted to share that because more than one person has asked me that. And you might think, wow, he sure didn't help me on that. You know, to make it clear one way or the other. Because I'm not one, always 100% sure as I look all the scriptures and what God actually does and what he's doing today and, and everything. So, and yet I, I can't get around those verses where the water and the Holy Spirit and repentance are all in the same verse. It's there. So, I guess I'll just let it at that. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> but I do know that when a person receives the Holy Spirit, there is a seal that takes place. And when a person is born of the Spirit, in John, we're here in, we're, when we were in John, it says that we are born of the Spirit. There's a regeneration that takes place. And the Spirit is able to come in after the burdens are lifted. God cannot dwell in a heart that's full of sin. But when we cleanse our hearts, He cleanses our hearts. He is the one that has the power to do that. I, I, God, God takes our sins and removes them from us, but we need to be willing to let go 
of the sins. It's not that God does everything for us. We need to do our part. Yes, He will cleanse us. He is the one that takes us and regenerates us and gets rid of the sin. But we need to say, God, I am willing for You to take these and get rid of them for me. Let's turn to Ephesians 1.13. In whom ye also trusted. Ephesians 1.13 After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. A seal. Um, you are stamped. God has stamped His approval upon your life. And you are sealed. Now you're wondering, well now where is He on eternal security? I want you to know I believe in eternal security, but it's conditional. I believe a child of God with the Holy Spirit living within him has the power to be victorious in their Christian life. And it's true, no man can pluck you out of the hand of the Father unless you allow Him to do that. No one can take your salvation from you, but you can throw it away. You can turn your back and say, I want nothing to do with it. And then the question is, can a person be born again more than once? Well, Paul, I, uh, Paul, I, said, I think said to the church at Ephesus, I travail again in birth for you. So I don't know what all that means. But there is a time, according to Scripture, that God's Spirit will not always strive with man. Which means there can come a time when God's presence, when God's Spirit will not call a person back. And I know of a man right at this point that is there. He would love to come back to the Lord. And we have prayed for him and with him. And he just can't seem to come back. Why? Because he blasphemed. I shouldn't use the word blaspheme. He hardened his heart to the point that he, he wishes he would be called he said, I feel no guilt. I feel no shame. But he says, I know I'm not saved. He said, I, there's no guilt. Now, I know we use the phrase, as long as there's life, there's hope. And I do believe in that phrase. I, I feel God can still perform a miracle in His life. But there's those that have died. And I, I throw that warning out. If you're here as a young person and you think, oh, I'm just going to go swim my wild oats for a while. No. That doesn't mean God's going to call you back. Because you're the one turning your back on God. Okay, let's get to our diagram. <clears throat> when a person receives the Holy Spirit and God comes and dwells in your heart, what happens to this? It comes under control of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, now my question is this. After I have the Holy Spirit in here, do these ever get in the way? Well, why would they? The Holy Spirit's within me. He's controlling my body, isn't He? 
He never overrides your will. We all agree with that? I think he's right. Satan and or God cannot have you unless you consent for him to do something. And that's why we're going to look at these things of blaspheme not, quench not. Now were those verses written to the non-Christians or were those verses written to Christian churches? They were written to Christian people. Sometimes when we look at some of the verses in the, in the Bible, we kind of get this idea that Paul's writing to the people out there. No, he's writing to a particular church. And that's why I think it's such a blessing to be a part of a church. When, when uh, Paul writes about how the body functions, I believe in the universal church. I, that, I, want that, I want that clear from the start. I believe in the universal church, but I believe in a particular body functioning together. And I believe that that body needs to function together so that all the gifts may be manifested, not to the universal church at large, but in the body of believers that you're a part of. I think it's important. God will magnify Himself. We cannot be all the foot. We cannot all be the hand. We cannot all be whatever God has called us to be. Uh, A brother recently shared a message in our congregation on how the body works together. And I asked him afterwards, I said, well, where did you put the ministry? Are they the head? Or are they the foot? And he described it this way. He said, when it comes to the leadership, the symbol for servanthood is like this. With serve down here. And you're the brotherhood up here. You are serving the brotherhood. And I was blessed by that. And then he went on to say that our skin varies. The skin on the bottom of your foot is tougher than the skin here. And then I came to him after the service. I said, well, I kind of... He said, it's because of all the pressure. And I said to him, I said, I think maybe that's where the preachers are. They're under pressure all the time. You know, we are the servants, which means we are called to serve the body. And I am not... um, a hierarchy type when it comes to church leadership because I need my brothers and I need my sisters of a particular group of people to help me even as a minister of the gospel. So, the Holy Spirit now is living within us. And we want to please and honor Him. We, uh, our soul, we want to have sanctified emotions. We want to have a sanctified mind. The Bible calls it a renewed mind. Our mind has changed. We think different than we used to think. And our will is no longer not my will, but thy will be done. Even Jesus had to work through this. Even though He was the Son of God, He was human just like you and I, He had to come to the point in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, I would like you to do that. But because it's not, your, it's not your will for that to happen, not my will, but thy will be done. So, how are your emotions right now? How, what's your mind like? What did you think about today? Was it on sanctified things? How's your will getting along with yourself? Are you bucking it all the time? Do you have a resigned heart? And to say, Lord, whatever. 
even if I have to be at home washing dishes for the next 10 years or 20 years, I will gladly do it, Lord. You mean I might have to work at that job for the next 10, 15 years, a job I don't like? Lord, if that's where you want me, I'm going to just faithfully do it. That's what it means to have a resigned will. And when we have a resigned will, God is able to do wonders with our, with our life. When it comes to our body, how we present our bodies, the Bible says we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. We need to be willing to give up and to to not draw attention to who I am, but to draw attention to who God is. That when people look at you, they think of God. That they see God through your modesty and everything that goes along with it. I took a group to New York City after September 11th. They had just opened in in New York City. They have subways, trains that go underneath the the, the streets. And they had just opened up when when the the Twin Towers, when they collapsed, it actually crumbled underneath the, the ground into the subway and it closed the subway system down at that particular spot. And we had been over short, shortly after they opened that subway. And we were standing there in a section as people were coming off the train. Every, every couple minutes there was a train coming through and people would come up the steps. And we were standing there singing. The girls were there dressed modestly. The boys were there. Everything, you know, it was a beautiful picture. And I was standing off to the side. And here came an older couple up the escalator. They had an escalator at that point. And they just stood there. And they just watched and watched. And I just thought, well, I'm going to walk over and see what they have to say. And I said, uh, hello. I said, where are you from? We're from California. And she said, are you part of this group standing over here? I said, yes, I am. Oh, she said, your girls look so beautiful. They look like angels. She said, we've never been to New York City before. We came because of September 11th. And she said, what a welcome to get off the train and to hear the beautiful voices of your people singing and to exemplify the purity of God. She said, they look so innocent. They look so pure. They look so clean. Amen. That's how we should be presenting our bodies in a way. You look at a body of a person that has lived a life of sin for years after years. They might only be 35 years old, but they might look like they're 60. You know, they're, they're, and especially a smoker. You know, you, you, you will reap what you sow. And to be able to, and, and I, I had to be careful. My heart almost inside said, wow, praise the Lord. You know, I almost got proud of the group that was standing there. And, and God said, well, no, it's because of me that they're that way. To present your bodies a living sacrifice, my body, and I'm willing to give my body. According to Scripture, we need to be willing to give our body for the cause of Christ. Supposing. We were in Syria right now. And we all heard of ISIS, right? Supposing ISIS would come in here right at this moment and say, 
You're captured. You're taken. And you know within the next couple of days your life could be taken. What would be important to you right at that time? Whatever that is, is what it should be today. Whatever would be important to you at that time, if ISIS, if you knew that your life was going to be taken, and they are brutal, they are massacring and taking the lives of people. They're 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 just their swords. They're burning and and all of that. It almost reminds you a little bit of of uh, the martyr's mirror. And some of those are non-Christians that are being killed, but there's some that are Christians that are being killed because they are Christians. We, don't, we can't relate to that, but they are willing to give their body. And as they're willing to give their body, they become a light of the world. They become the salt of the earth. And I know that you and I have not given our body, but we are to be the light of the world. I was in a store one day, and a man came up to me and said, what, 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 what are you excited about? I said, I didn't know I was. Oh, he said, you have a smile on your face. He said, we don't see that around here hardly ever. What makes you different? That's what the question should be coming to you. And saying, why is that smile there, Aaron? It's because of the joy of the Lord. People need to be, they'll ask you questions. And to us, to the shame of us brothers, because of the prayer veiling of our sisters, they're often asked quicker than what we are. But may we live a life in a way that people will ask us, why are you so happy? Some of you know Brother David. He was here two years ago. Brother David and I are in the ministry together. And he, when he shops, he's usually humming. <laughs> and people ask him, what are you humming about? Well, I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. You know, <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory. He'd probably tell me, John Michael, why are you saying all that? <laughs> we make a good team. Brother David and I, uh, Brother David's more evangelist than what I am. And we balance each other out. I love him dearly. 17 years together in the ministry, and I've learned a lot. It's true, maybe I don't maybe get as, as excited as, his, as he does, but that's what we should be like. And when we come to a place of business that they're not looking out the window and saying, oh my... Here they come again. Hey, here they come again. Wonder what they have to tell us today. What they're excited about. It's a blessing. We are to be the light of the world. We know that song, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. We go into some old folks' homes. And uh, if if I'm responsible for getting the songs together. I take those older people back to Jesus loves me in this little light of mine and I do the emotions with them and everything and they can barely get their hands up in there. You know, it's such a blessing to be able to be a lighthouse for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to talk about salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We're also the salt of the earth. If you study church history, the persecuted church, the more they persecuted them, the faster they grew. There was more and more Today we're losing, possibly because of not having persecution. And I, I made the statement one time that I believe that, that 
persecution would purify the church today if we would have persecution. And a brother came to me later. He said, if there's a church left. He said, if we'd be faced with persecution, how many of our people would survive? We can hardly take some of the laughter and things and being made fun of. We're almost ashamed to bow our heads when we go somewhere to eat or whatever. If we can't stand up for what's right in the freedom that we have, how are we going to ever stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ when it gets tough? The salt read a little account of, of a teacher that asked her class, of school class, I guess. I just called it a class. She said, uh, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? And one little child spoke up, making others thirsty. You ever eat something that's salty? What do you go for? Something to drink. Water. May we live a life that people say, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Can you help me satisfy this thirst? And then you can give him the account of the woman at the well. I will give you of the living water that you will never thirst again. And she said, well, where do we worship? God said, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Or, God, or Jesus told her that. She said, well, you worship in Jerusalem. I can't go to Jerusalem. God said, I'm going, you're going to be worshiping me from your heart. You won't have to come to Jerusalem for that worship. Now let's look. I'm not through my introduction, but we're going to go on to blaspheme, okay? <clears throat> Galatians 5.16, it says, Walk in the Spirit so that you do not fulfill the lusts. Verse 25, it says, Live. Oh, there's a, ver there, there's a portion of Scripture. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Open your Bibles to Psalm 39. Psalm 39 and Psalm 40 are, an, are two interesting psalms. Psalm 39, I, I call the old song, and then you come into chapter 40, and it's a new song. And the psalmist says that or in, in chapter 40, not chapter, psalms doesn't have chapters, it's Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 3, it says, And he put a new song in my mouth, even the praise of our Lord. Many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. Going back to Psalm 39, it talks about our tongue. And when we talk about blasphemy, about not blaspheming the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a, a, a sin of the tongue. Our tongue is at the most slipperiest part of our body. And it can move real easy. Sometimes people engage their tongue before they engage their brain. That happens so many times. I'm guilty of that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Well, here, uh, Psalmist David was saying that I don't want to sing, sin with my tongue. So the safest way to do that is I'm not going to talk anymore. You ever get that at a time, where, especially if you got in trouble with something that you said and, and you hurt somebody? Oh, I'm just going to be quiet. Well, that's what the Psalmist David said. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be quiet with my tongue. But look what happened in verse 3. We've got to look at this. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. 
That blesses my heart. I, I just, the psalmist David, he was a normal man just like you and I. He had some tough times. And he decided, I'm going to be quiet. But he said, my heart was hot within me. And it's true that that, that musing that took place within his heart, it created a fire that he needed to let out somehow. And he chose by his will. That's why I'm stressing, we have something to do with this. It's true, God does do the work for us, but we need to have a resigned will and say, yes, Lord. And when it comes to testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit is prompting you, go talk, for, go, go, go talk about me somewhere. Well, my, my will gets in the way and says, oh, no, I'm just too ashamed to do that. Well, Psalmist David, he decided his tongue needs to start moving and start talking about the things of the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord um, for mercy upon his transgressions and everything. And when he did that, it says he had, they, put a, they put a new song in his mouth. Now that, that, that heart within him, you can parallel somewhat to the Holy Spirit working within his heart. He had things in there that needed to be taken care of. And when he took care of them, or when he, he allowed that fire to burn, he opened his mouth and had confession. And when he had confession, God put a new song into his heart. Because you read Psalm 39, there's a lot of negative thoughts in Psalm 39. Even in verse 3, there's, a, there's an outburst. And, and in verse 6, it talks about the pleasure and riches of vanity. His, his heart was being drawn after wrong things. And then you come to uh, Psalm 40, and after he has that new song in his heart, it's then a different tongue. It's a tongue of deliverance. It's a song of forgiveness. It's a song of praise. And it's a song of a deepened experience with the Lord. Oh, may that be the psalm of all our hearts when we leave here this week. You came. Maybe you felt like your song's getting old. And you, don't, you didn't feel revived. You didn't feel that things were going well. And now as God is working in your hearts, and it was a blessing to see your broken hearts last night, and to be able to just confess your sins before God. I heard some of the prayers of, you, of some of you that, that poured your heart out to the Lord. What you're doing is you're letting that fire of conviction burning in your heart. And you spoke with your tongue. And then in Psalm 40, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord and He heard me. We can also liken that, you know, that heart, that fire that burns within. I think it mentions that about Jeremiah. I didn't look that up. But I think somewhere it talks about Jeremiah also had a burning within his heart. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's let that fire burn. And if it needs to be cleansed, let God cleanse it. If it needs to testify, testify of the goodness of the Lord. Another verse says, what do we need to do in order for God to speak to us? Open wide thy mouth and I will fill it. We fill it with so much other stuff. We talk about this and talk about that, but when we open it wide, God will fill it. Fill it. God will fill it. A 
Let's go to the portion of Scripture that some of you have memorized. Romans chapter 8. I did want to mention this. Uh, In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to certain individuals, and I agree with Brother Denny. It's a little hard to decide if the Spirit was within them or if God was working on the outside. I do know that before a person is converted, before the Holy Spirit is put into your heart, the Holy Spirit is working on the outside, is convicting you, and, 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 and He wants in. Now in Romans 8, verse 4, it says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This body that is so important to us, and I believe in neatness, I do. I want you to know that. I believe we need to present a a neat body, take care of our body, but not at the expense of bringing glory to ourself versus bringing glory to God. God bless you as you present your body to the Lord. When it comes to blaspheming, well, I I need, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, Talking about and I might have mentioned this before. Some people say, how do I know that what God's will is for my life? A girl came to me one time. She said, I just feel like God wants me to do something more for my life than what I'm actually doing. How do I know God's will? This is what I told her. I said, don't try to figure God's will out. Just be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life and God will present His will to you. We have the idea that we want it all figured out first before we say, yes, Lord. We want to know where we're going to end up. It would be like Abraham saying, I'll go, Lord, but where am I going? That's not what he did. He just knew that he had to move. But we're that way. What's this going to cost? We do so much trying to figure out things. We try to discern the will of God when God is just saying, mind the Spirit working within you and I will show you my plan for your life. We try hard. We plan. And with what I have to share next, I'm not, I real, I'm not saying that there should not be been any preparation made for these youth meetings. Let's get that straight first, okay? But sometimes in our church life and things, we plan and plan and plan, and we forget to pray. I think we need to do more praying. Maybe less planning. I don't know. There had to be planning to make sure that there's facilities here, to make sure there was food prepared and that there's places to sleep and that there's towels to use and washcloths and things things like that. There needed to be planning. I'm, I'm not saying there shouldn't be planning, but in our churches we become so organized and so... uh Well, it's this wheel turns this wheel and this wheel turns that wheel. You know what I mean by that? And soon it's going. But what's it doing? When God is planning it, there's fruit, there's evidence. And I'm speaking to us younger ones. Sometimes some of our youth that are struggling, 
and not finding their way is because they see that we're not reproducing ourselves spiritually. And they look at that and say, whoa, if this is what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it. And I think our generation, my generation and older, we have some of the fruit that we're seeing in our churches is not the fruit of our, the result, and I'm not justifying rebellion when I say this, but some of the results that we're seeing is the results of what we have, what we have created. But not willing to bow our hearts and to say, we just thought too much. Then you ask the question, well, what does it mean to, where, where do we put um, standing for truth versus compromise and all of that? That would probably be a subject on its own, but um, we've we got to get on our knees more. The missing ingredient, I had a message, and Brother uh, Pete, if you would ask uh, Keith Martin, if he remembers, I, I'm going to give you an assignment. The next time you see Keith, you ask him if he remembers what message John Michael preached on about a missing ingredient in the church. You ever miss an ingredient when baking a cake? That ever happened to you? Sure. Did it taste right? Maybe it didn't rise when it was supposed to? I have girls. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Yeah, okay. Uh, my, my girls, it, it's interesting to see them learn to cook. You know, it's just, uh, and this is their first, this is one of their first questions. If they they take turns, the two at home yet, and this was more when they were younger, um, they would try a new dish. And they would ask, after we were all done, they'd say, okay, Dad, is this once a week meal? Once a month meal, or once a year meal, or once, a, once every five years. And they wanted me to be honest, and I tried to do that. But when you miss an ingredient, it changes the whole cake, <laughs> or whatever the, the chocolate bars or whatever you're making. It's just not very pleasant. So it is when the church of God is not praying. It's a missing ingredient. And it becomes a stench to the world rather than something that is pure, something that is holy. Blasphemy. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. I should have said, Brother Keith Martin, that is serving in Haiti there with Pete's is, is part from our congregation, so that's why I felt free to share that. Matthew 12. Begin reading at verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth now cast out devils. 
does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, how is he is divided against himself? How shall, how shall then his kingdom stand? And if I be Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whoso speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Our tongue. James talks about a tongue. Our tongues get us in trouble. And I know we're walking in the truth. What is our tongue part of? The body. Okay? When we become converted, does our body become converted? No. Okay? So if our body doesn't, our body is earthly, and our tongue is part of the body, how do I take care of this tongue? You don't. Okay. Can a man tame a tongue? No. So that means our tongue, we can't take care of ourselves, right? So where do we go to get this tongue that it speaks the right things? Sorry? A new heart. Sorry? Right. Season with salt. I need to close. <laughs> um, you said 20 till, didn't you? Yeah. Blaspheme not. We'll pick up there tomorrow. You pray for me as I try to bring some of these others together. I hope that the introduction was an eye-opener to you for you to be able to understand how the Holy Spirit works. But I want you to guard your tongue the rest of your life. Have it seasoned with salt and be careful what you say is not of God and what is of God. And we'll pick up there tomorrow. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. Appreciate it very much.